Welcome to Heard at Heritage. Heard at Heritage features cutting-edge analysis and thought from leading experts in and across the conservative movement, as well as premier events and programming from the Heritage Foundation here in the heart of Washington, D.C., brought straight to you. Hi, good morning. Glad to, glad to be here and see all of you all, uh, at least virtually. Uh, welcome to this uh, discussion of the U.S.-Taiwan partnership in the Pacific Islands. Uh, I'm Walter Lohman, director of our Asian Studies Center at the Heritage Foundation. Um, you know, I love Taiwan and I, and I love our partners in the Pacific Islands. Um, but let's be honest about our relationship and what we can do together in the Pacific Islands with Taiwan, um, there is a certain strategic convergence. Uh, on the one hand, for, for Taiwan, its partnerships, its diplomatic allies in, in the Pacific, uh, provide it with an anchor into the region, provide it with uh, stage, uh, a stage on the, um, on the international front, um, help secure its uh, participation in, in international events, um, and for the U.S., these islands are very geostrategically important. Um, they are either in the second island chain or close to it, um, or they stand between the United States and its very close uh, treaty ally in Australia. So as much as uh, we all love Taiwan and want to work with Taiwan for the sake of its democracy, for its autonomy, for everything that we celebrate about it, uh, there's also this strategic convergence that the U.S. and Taiwan uh, have in the Pacific Islands. So to explore that this morning, uh, we've brought two people in to talk with us. Uh, Sandra Udkirk, who is um, uh, Deputy Assistant Secretary at, at EAP, and uh, Deputy Foreign Minister Tian Cheng Kuang, uh, who is joining us from, from Taipei. Um, I'm going to turn it over first to, to Sandra to, to start us off. Sandra, in addition to Pacific Islands, her portfolio includes Australia, New Zealand, and APEC. And uh, and uh, before this, she actually was a DAS in the Department of Energy. She's a uh, career foreign service officer. Um, so she has a ton of experience navigating relationships. And so let me turn it over to her to get us started, and then we'll come back and I'll introduce uh, uh, Minister Chen, and, and we'll go from there. Thank you. Sandra, I'll turn it over to you. Thank you very much, Walter, and good morning, everyone. Uh, many thanks to the Heritage Foundation for hosting this event and to Deputy Minister Tian for, for joining me here today. The United States is proud to partner with Taiwan on a variety of initiatives to promote prosperity, security, and stability in the Pacific Islands. And I am delighted to have the opportunity to outline some of these initiatives today. I'm gonna start first with a little background both on the U.S.-Taiwan relationship and our relationships in the Pacific Islands. So for decades, the United States has maintained unofficial relations with Taiwan, consistent with our One China policy and guided by the Taiwan Relations Act, the three joint communiques and the six assurances. Our unofficial relations are carried out under the auspices of the American Institute in Taiwan, AIT, and the Taipei Economic and Cultural Representative Office, TECRO, here in Washington. On April 9th, the Secretary approved new liberalized guidelines for relations with Taiwan to encourage U.S. executive branch engagement with Taiwan to better reflect our broadening and deepening unofficial relationship. This new guidance is a huge step forward from earlier versions, 
including the contact guidance that was in place from 2015 until earlier this year. It explicitly encourages engagement with Taiwanese counterparts and removes overly onerous restrictions that complicated our ability to engage with Taiwan's to engage with Taiwan on issues of mutual concern. We are committed to deepening our ties with Taiwan, which is a leading democracy and a critical economic and security partner. Similarly, the United States maintains positive relationships with the Pacific Island countries, which date back to the end of World War II. We appreciate the uniqueness of each Pacific Island country, socially and politically, and we applaud the democratic successes of the, of the Pacific Island countries. We have especially close relationships with the Federated States of Micronesia, the Republic of the Marshall Islands, and Palau that are underpinned by our compacts of free association and deep people-to-people -people ties. As I am sure Deputy Minister Tian will highlight, Taiwan also enjoys strong relations throughout the Western Pacific based on shared democratic values. This is particularly true with its diplomatic partners, the Marshall Islands, Nauru, Palau, and Tuvalu. Taiwan is a stalwart de development partner for its Pacific neighbors. It has invested hundreds of millions of dollars to bolster the physical, economic, and social infrastructure of Pacific Island nations, including in the areas of health, education, telecommunications, transportation, and entrepreneurship, particularly among women. In 2019, I saw firsthand the benefits of the positive outcomes of Taiwan's agricultural assistance programs in Tuvalu. So to sum up, is one of our closest economic partners and a democratic role model for the world. They are a reliable partner, a pillar of regional prosperity, and a global force for good. The United States and Taiwan have mutual interests in many areas, such as trade, development, shared democratic values, security, and human rights. The U.S. partners with Taiwan on initiatives across the globe, but we'll look today at our efforts with the Pacific Islands. So, for example, starting in 2015, through AIT, TECRO, and the Japan-Taiwan Exchange Association, the United States and Japan partnered with Taiwan in something called the Global Cooperation and Training Framework, or GCTF, which is a platform that utilizes Taiwan's strength and expertise to address global issues of mutual concern. Since 2015, 68 countries have participated in these events, including many Pacific Island countries. In September 2019, the GCTF International Austronesian Languages Revitalization Forum was held in Palau, marking the first GCTF event to take place outside of Taiwan. In 2021, the United States, Taiwan, and Japan plan to expand the GCTF, public health and travel restrictions permitting, and host events all over the world to bring Taiwan's wealth of technical expertise to a wider audience. Two years ago, the United States and Taiwan worked through AIT and TECRO to launch annual consultations on democratic governance in the Indo-Pacific, to advance joint projects to strengthen democratic institutions and address pressing governance challenges. We will continue to work closely with Taiwanese civil society to ensure the world can learn from Taiwan's expertise and experience in areas such as countering PRC malign influence, handling the COVID-19 pandemic, and promoting human rights, including freedom of religion. In support of a digitally connected world, the United States promotes an open, interoperable, secure, and reliable internet. And we coordinate with like-minded allies and partners such as Taiwan, Australia, Japan, the Republic of Korea, New Zealand, and Singapore. Taiwan also partners with the United States, Japan, and Australia to, to strengthen maritime security in the region. Recognizing the need for additional sea patrol assistance, Taiwan recently provided two patrol vessels to the Marshall Islands. 
And just last month, the United States and Taiwan, once again under the auspices of AIT and TECRO, established a Coast Guard working group to support the common objectives of preserving maritime resources, reducing illegal, unreported, and unregulate, unregulated fishing, and participating in joint maritime search and rescue, as well as maritime environmental response. We launched the Pacific Island Dialogue in 2019 as a platform for the United States, Taiwan, and like-minded allies and partners to explore ways to increase cooperation to meet the development needs of Taiwan's diplomatic partners in the Pacific. We met in person in 2019 in Taipei to discuss response to natural disasters and environmental protection, and then convened virtually last year to identify gaps in COVID-19 assistance and develop a coordinated response. With the Taiwanese model to combat COVID-19 having received international recognition, cooperation with Taiwan as a key regional stakeholder and assistance provider is critical to the health and welfare of the Pacific. For example, not only has Taiwan provided funding, donated testing machines, laboratory equipment, and medical supplies to its diplomatic partners in the Pacific, it also hosts a unique medical program where it twins Taiwanese hospitals with a hospital in each of the four countries to provide capacity building and medical guidance. We are currently finalizing plans for a 2021 Pacific Islands Dialogue to build on the success of the past two dialogues. I'm gonna talk a bit now about pandemic response, because as I mentioned earlier, Taiwan's model for combating COVID-19 has received international recognition. And I want to commend Taiwan's success in controlling the COVID-19 outbreak at home and for their tremendous support to these efforts globally. Taiwan controlled the outbreak early and ramped up face mask, face mask production from less than 2 million to over 20 million per day in only two months, enabling Taiwan to become a donor and net exporter of masks and other personal protective equipment to the United States and other, and other markets early in the pandemic. Taiwan was the single largest foreign donor of PPE and medical supplies to the United States at the outset of the pandemic. And we are grateful to be working with Taiwan and other like-minded allies and partners to provide vaccines and other technical assistance to the Pacific Island countries. For instance, Taiwan worked with the United States in the Marshall Islands to provide much needed support at the height of the pandemic last year and provided the Marshall Islands government assistance to purchase freezers in advance of the, of the arrival of the COVID-19 vaccines, which were provided by the United States. Taiwan also chartered a flight to provide ventilators, test kits, and medical supplies, as well as the medical experts to install the equipment and provide training to health care providers in Palau. So we're hopeful that as the vaccine distribution rate increases across the region and the Pacific Island countries consider selectively reopening their borders, it will see more uh, of, of uh, arrangements following the model of the travel bubble between Palau and Taiwan. This bubble opened earlier this month and was made possible in part due to the vaccines that the United States has provided to Palau. It was really interesting to watch. All seats on the first two flights were sold almost immediately and over a thousand visitors from Taiwan have reportedly booked trips to Palau. We're also discussing other practical areas for cooperation, including pandemic preparedness and prevention, as, as well as charting a path to economic recovery in all four of Taiwan's diplomatic partners in the Pacific. So, as you can see, the U.S.-Taiwan partnership is an integral element of advancing U.S. priorities in the Pacific Islands region, and I will now turn it over to Deputy Minister Tian for his remarks. Thank you very much. Great. Thank you, Sandra. Uh, that, that, um, that was an incredible incredibly long list of uh, things we've got going on with Taiwan and the 
in the uh, in the Pacific. So very good to hear that uh, hear that summary. Um, hopefully we can dig into it a little bit in the Q and A. Um, so next I'd like to bring um, uh, Tian Chung Kuang to the to the stage to join us. If he could turn on his camera. Uh, Mr. Chen is uh, Deputy Foreign Minister and uh, Chancellor of the Institute of Diplomatic and International Affairs uh, in, in Taiwan. He was previously the ROC rep to India um, and also ambassador to Tuvalu. So uh, has a very long distinguished career in, in Taiwan. So I, I'd like to turn it over to him to, uh, to give us the Taiwan side of the story. Thank you. Well, thank you. Thank you very much for your kind introduction. Director Walter Lohman and uh, the Deputy Assistant Secretary of State Sandra Outkirk and my colleagues, participants, ladies and gentlemen, good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. I think we've been scattered around uh, in, in the globe. I'm deeply honored and privileged to have this opportunity to share Taiwan's view on the topic of U.S.-Taiwan partnership in the Pacific Islands. I would like to start by commending the Heritage Foundation for having long been an advocate of peace and democracy both across the region and elsewhere throughout the globe. Today's event provides an excellent opportunity for Taiwan and the US to share views on our Pacific partnership. Indeed, the recent issuance of a new guidelines for U.S. government interaction with Taiwan counterparts and that the release of the interim national security strategic guidelines make today's conversation both timely and essential. The specific theme of my remarks will be fostering and reinforcing the Taiwan-U.S. Pacific Partnership. The election of the Secretary General of the Pacific Island Forum was no doubt a turning point for the solidarity of the region. As a development partner of the PIF, Taiwan stands for the unity and harmony of the region. We encourage foreign members to reach consensus through a Toitka plus two arrangement or any other appropriate dialogue mechanism and in the spirit and the tradition of Pacific way. Taiwan and the US share a multiple uh, a mutual interest in keeping the PIV together, factors that are undermining the solidarity of the Pacific should not be ignored. And for the past two years, Taiwan has been fortunate to have successfully contained COVID-19. We were also able to help our Pacific allies early on in the pandemic. To date, none of our Pacific allies have registered a confirmed local case of the disease. Together, Taiwan and the US are meeting the needs of the region in terms of reinvigorating economies and returning to the normalcy in the post-pandemic era. Moreover, US ambassadors of Palau, John Hennessy Nealand, accompany Palau President Whips Jr on his visit to Taiwan, reaffirming the U.S. commitment to strengthening three-party cooperation. This is a manifestation of our Pacific partnership and sends a message to the region that partners 
can reach mutually beneficial solutions together, even amid the immense threat of global pandemic. There's no denying that China's industrial policies and unfair trading practices are taking advantage of the global free market system and damaging international trade. For example, very few international business entitles are able to compete with Chinese state-owned enterprises, underbeating strategies for infrastructure projects at such international financial institutions as the World Bank and the Asian Development Bank, whose guidelines compel them to award contracts to the lowest bidder. After all, these state-owned enterprises are politically oriented and receive tremendous state subsidies. And numerous projects in our Pacific Allies are currently being implemented by Chinese state-owned enterprises. These include, for example, the Outer Island Maritime Infrastructure Project in Tuvalu, and the Sustainable and the Climate Resilient Connectivities Project, and the Solar Power Development Project in Nauru. Another example has been China's Belt and Road Initiative. According to statistics, 89% of the initiatives and infrastructures projects have been awarded to Chinese enterprises. The program is not only creating potential debt trap for host countries, but also hollowing out the long-term competitiveness of the global construction industry. To tackle these issues, Taiwan and the like-minded partners will continue to call for reforms to bidding policies at the international financial institutions. I would like to turn out to the Taiwan's assistance to the Pacific Allies. Since the global outbreak of COVID-19, Taiwan has provided each of its four Pacific Allies with infrared thermometers, polymerase chain reaction test machines medical masks, and other crucial medical supplies. We have also offered direct funding and the support to implement the projects to combat COVID-19 and the spurred economic revival. Full security has become an issue as our Pacific allies have been forced to close their borders due to the pandemic. The Taiwan Technical Mission in the Pacific, operated by Taiwan International Cooperation and the Development Fund, are currently focused on helping to develop the agriculture, agriculture, and the livestock industries, and promote a more balanced diet. We believe this technical assistance can have a long-term positive impact on regional food security and the well-being of our local citizens. With the Pacific covering uh, vast areas and being home to abundant marine resources, Taiwan recognizes the importance of maritime security in the region. To strengthen the maritime security of our Pacific allies, facilitate joint patrols and come back illegal, unreported, and unregulated fishing. 
We have signed a Coast Guard cooperation agreement with the Marshall Islands, Palau, and Nauru. Taiwan has long promoting clean energy and associated projects in the Pacific Airlines. Thanks to our expertise in the solar power projects are providing consumers with useful solar powered appliances and improving livelihoods at the grassroots level. To date, Taiwan has pledged nearly 6 million US dollars in grants and will continue to make even more contribution going forward. Now, I would like to touch upon a few of the highlights um, and the proposals for Taiwan-US cooperation in the Pacific. In March, our countries signed an MOU to establish a Coast Guard working group between Taiwan's Coast Guard administration and the US Coast Guard. This will facilitate communications and information sharing and build a stronger partnership for maritime rescue and the law enforcement. Our experience of implementing joint patrols with Marshall Islands and the Nauru have shown that we have a lot to offer in terms of defending the free and open Indo-Pacific with the US and our partners. Recognizing the importance of 5G network security, Taiwan and the US issued a joint declaration on 5G security in August 2020. This aims to protect next-generation communications networks from disrupting and manipulation. In the Pacific, Nauru and Palau have already committed to the US-led clean network program. We suggest that Taiwan and the US further coordinate on regional cybersecurity prevention and ICT infrastructure security. I'm much delighted to say that Taiwan-US cooperation to combat the pandemic in the Pacific has yielded several success stories. In the Marshall Islands, for example, Taiwan and the US have worked together to ensure the smooth transportation and delivery of US vaccines. We will continue to engage with each other and coordinate medical resources so as to improve the public health systems and disease prevention capacities of Pacific Island countries. The world has been encouraged to see the U.S. return to the Paris Agreement. President Biden will host the Leaders' Summit on climate on April 22nd. Taiwan recognizes climate change and the resilience to be among the region's top priorities. To tackle the climate issues, we must act as one, and we must collaborate to design the solution that improve Pacific resilience. Going forward, we will also consider introducing our environmental subloans model to the Pacific community. Ladies and gentlemen, I would like to wrap up my remarks with some final thought on our vision for the Taiwan-US partnership in the Pacific. During President Tsai Ing-wen's 2019 
video conference with the Heritage Foundation during a transit stop in Hawaii. She said that Taiwan's approach to the Indo-Pacific centers on three core principles, democracy, regional prosperity, and collective security. We believe that the Taiwan-US-Pacific partnership is based on common core values and mutual regional interests. This partnership will be enduring, substantive, and benefit the entire Pacific region. The Taiwan-US Pacific Partnership has deepened on all fronts over the past few years. Taiwan is ready and willing to join key U.S. initiatives in the region, such as a small, less populous island economies initiative, the Pacific Pledge, and the Clean Network programs, and work with the Millennium Challenges Cooperation, U.S. aid and the U.S. International Development Finance Cooperation to implement regional programs together. Building on the existing bilateral initiatives such as global cooperation and training framework, the framework to strengthen infrastructure finance and the market building cooperation, and the Coast Guard Working Group, Taiwan and the U.S. will continue to bolster and consolidate the steadfast cooperation framework of our Pacific partnership. Lastly, a word on regional security issues in the Pacific. China has been expanding regional influence through the conditional aid projects and the funding. It has distributed resources far beyond the traditional first, second, and third island chains targeting specific strategic locations such as Tulagi in Solomon Islands, Tarawa in Kiribati, Daru in PNG, and Natuabatu in Fiji, to name just a few. Amendments to China's national defense law further formalize its military civil development strategy, which has alarming implications for our like-minded partners in the region. To counterbalance potential regional threat, the Taiwan-U.S. Pacific Partnership has to be broad, organic, and transformational. Meanwhile, the Taiwan-U.S. Pacific Island Dialogue will continue to serve as our major regional communication platform. Ladies and gentlemen, the U.S. has recognized Taiwan as a leading democracy and a critical economic and a security partner. We are committed to continue coordinating with the U.S. and safeguarding a free and open Indo-Pacific. Thank you very much for your attention. I look forward to the lively and productive discussion. Uh, thank you, Mr. Tian. It was, it was terrific. Uh, between the two of you, you've given us such a wealth of, of information. It's going to take me going back and listening over again and taking some notes on <laughs> on the extent of uh, the activity and the relationship in the region. Really, really quite extraordinary. Um, I wanted to ask you, maybe um, you can give both sides of this question. And I'll start with um, Mr. Tian and then, and then Sandra can re respond. 
I wonder if you could give us the um, state of health of some of your relationships in the region, especially with your four diplomatic um, allies right now. Um, how do they how do they feel right now? What's the um, what's the threat from from China in terms of competition for their affections? And then mm -hmm. and then Sandra, the other side of that that question, which is, um, is there anything that the United States can do to help secure those relationships going forward? Is there things that we can do to help um, expand Taiwan's influence, even in in parts of the uh, region that don't currently recognize it, but uh, but uh, sort of benefit from a relationship with Taiwan? So, uh, Mr. Chen, let me start with you, if you could lead us off on that. Okay. Um, thank you for your question. Let me start by characterizing our diplomatic relations with our four Pacific allies from a cultural point of view. As Taiwan is part of the Austronesian family, the languages of the indigenous peoples of Taiwan and those of the peoples of Pacific Island countries, we enjoy similar structures and vocabularies. We also share similar social systems and core values. Therefore, our countries are closely connected by genuine intentions and a strong friendship. And Taiwan's aid mechanism has been based on the mutual respect and the projects have been tailored made according to the needs of the partner countries following close consultation with them. Therefore, we do believe that our support to our Pacific allies has been flexible and beneficial at the grassroots level. As a result, Taiwan has fostered cordial and a solid relationship with its Pacific Islands. And we will keep working closely with them in the areas of medical care, economic revival, and the renewable energy just to name a few, so as to better ensure the well-being of their peoples. Well, that's great. That's um, that's a very strong statement uh, um, on behalf of those relationships. Um, you know, the um, the catch being that we have seen a couple times all of that great connection not being enough, right? So we've lost a couple allies in the last few years: uh, Solomon Islands, Kiribati. Um, so that gets to the question that I posed to Sandra, which is there's something that we can do to emphasize support, to supplement the efforts that Taiwan is making to keep these countries in, in Taiwan's orbit. Thank you, Walter. Um, and, and I think it's really important to underscore that the United States really does work to, um, work with and, uh, support and amplify work that Taiwan is doing with its uh, diplomatic partners in the region. So one of the reasons why we founded the Pacific Islands Dialogue was really so that we could talk about how we could make our assistance programs in the four diplomatic partners mutually reinforcing. So one of the challenges, and I am not just caveat here, I am not a development professional, um, but um, it, it's really clear uh, when, when you visit these four countries um, that they are, they're small economies. Um, and so you really want to make sure that assistance from donors 
United States, Taiwan, Australia, New Zealand, Japan, et cetera, that it doesn't overlap, that it, it's coordinated, it's complementary, it doesn't leave big gaps. And I think we've been pretty effective in doing that. I think there's a lot of scope for continued work. But the example that I gave in particular of the um, COVID-related support to the Marshall Islands is a great example of how the United States and Taiwan can work together to be mutually reinforcing. So the United States provides, um, has been providing vaccines to the three freely associated states. Um, the vaccines that we're providing are the Moderna vaccines. They do require cold chain storage. So when Taiwan was able to provide funds to purchase additional freezers, that was absolutely essential to the delivery of our, or to the delivery of our assistance. And then, and then we see with Palau that the delivery of our vaccine assistance contributed to the ability of Palau to open a travel bubble with Taiwan, which will hopefully put them on a path to um, restoring economic activity in a country that is, their economy is heavily tourism based. And I think we see throughout the Pacific Island countries that they did a fantastic job of avoiding um, huge COVID outbreaks, but at the but they did this by closing their borders. And that itself uh, it enacts a cost on economic activity, particularly in the tourism-based economies. And so figuring out a path out um, to be COVID safe uh, uh, in addition to or, or in lieu of COVID-free is really important. So I think we'll, conti we'll continue to do that sort of work and then I'll also highlight um, the work that we do in countries that are not Taiwan's uh, de development partners. So I talked a bit about the Global Cooperation and Training Framework, GCTF. That works all around the world in countries who aren't partners. So the Pacific Island countries, um, Papua New Guinea, Fiji, places that aren't Taiwan's partners still participate in this and I think can still see through those uh, technical exchanges and training uh, programs, the value of the input that Taiwan has uh, on in the development, health, and entrepreneurship spheres. Thank you. Great, thank you. Um, yeah, well, that's that's very encouraging. Um, you know, you you talked about Palau, and Palau has been so central in the last um, I don't know the last year um, for both of us. I think in the in the region. Um, President Whips was just in Taiwan, as uh, Mr. Chin uh, referred. Um, and uh, and last year, maybe the most significant thing, and I think this has been restated since by the new government, is some offer of increased military access for the United States in Palau, which is important because it's, you know, in some ways it's the most significant strategically for the United States given its its location. I don't want to underplay the others either, but but it is in a very sensitive spot. So again, I, I wanted to sort of look at both sides of this question, starting with, with Sandra. Um, can you tell us anything else about that suggestion or that offer by Palau to, to allow US military facilities or to encourage uh, military facilities? And then, and then Mr. Chen, maybe he could update us on what's the follow-on from President Whip's visit and where, where things are going now with Palau and, and how you see Palau sort of in the grander scheme of things uh, in the in the region. So Sandra, let me start with you. Sure. So um, 
I'm not going to, I can't answer your question on the military facilities. That's really a DOD question. Um, and I'm going to um, on, on that specific part of this. But I would like to take this opportunity to talk a bit about what we're doing with the, the compact negotiations. So we have a compact of free association with each of the three freely associated states. Um, and under those compacts, the defense and security provisions were negotiated in perpetuity. So they're not going to change. Um, but the economic assistance provisions uh, expire either in 2023 for FSM and RMI or in 2024 for pullout. And that's what we're discussing now. So we're talking about U.S. Uh, contributions to the trust funds. We're talking about the provision of um, federal programs, uh, so services, programs and services through our domestic agencies. And and it's a it's a very it's an ongoing discussion with Palau as the other two, um, but it's not in the defense realm. And, and that's something that's not necessarily always uh, always clear. But that's where we are with that. I see. Okay. Okay. That's that's very good. I'm glad you mentioned the compacts because um, they are coming up soon, and it will be on us before we know it. I, I think um, if you go back a few years ago, maybe the U.S. was not as focused on on their strategic value, and and uh, would would nickel and dime uh, the negotiation of those. But I, I really can't see that now. It seems like everyone recognizes how important they are, and I, and I think on the Hill too, there's that there's that recognition. So I'm really glad that you raised that important going forward. Uh, and Mr. Tian, on, uh, on Palau, how are things going after um, President Whip's visit? Well, uh, Walter, thank you very much for raising this uh, issue. Actually, now Taiwan and Palau travel bubble probably is the most sought words in Google's whatever, uh, not only in Taiwan, I think all over the region. Um, first of all, I think that the goal and the greatest achievement of President Whip's visit was to launch the Taiwan Palau travel bubble, I think which is probably the first ever in, in the region or in the world. Um, I think that's a tremendous achievement. And we will continue to work with Palau to improve the programs, to make it sustainable and safe. And let me share one some greatest news about this travel bubble. All of 100 passengers of the first flight to take advantage of the Taiwan Palau travel bubble, they've been tested negative, all of them, for COVID-19 after returning home. This proves that the vision and the leaders of our two nations for the safe and the sterile corridor during the pandemic is possible and feasible. Mm -hmm. I think our transparency and effective measures have made this possible. And Taiwan sincerely welcome the similar visit from our diplomatic allies as long as we can make full preparations, we foster mutual trust and to build consensus on this matter. And I believe this travel bubble initiative will be studied, will be followed, will be copied by some other countries. 
it will build a new norm between countries and the regions, even after the pandemic. Mm -hmm. Good, and um, you know, you mentioned in your remarks, uh, Mr. Chen, the, um, the Pacific Island Forum. Um, it's clearly in the midst of some turmoil. Yes. Um, what what kind of impact do you think that has on Taiwan's relationships there? Um, negative, positive. I mean, I, I guess we can't be hoping for turmoil, but uh, right. but but I mean, does it does it help or hurt Taiwan? How do you see all of that affecting you? Probably turmoil is probably the least the last thing we want to see in that region. As I mentioned in my speech. Of these five Micronesian member states, uh, Palau, the Marshall Islands, and uh, Nauru are our diplomatic allies. So we want to see those allies to be consolidated, to be harmony together in the region in the wake of the Secretary General elections of the forum. And Taiwan, as a de development partner of the forum, we respect the decisions made by the Micronesian member state and calls on the region to rekindle the spirit of Pacific Way and to solve the issues collectively and appropriately as a member of the family. And Taiwan also urged concerned parties to continue to exchange views on the implications of this unfolding development. Mm -hmm. While keeping an eye on the situation, Taiwan will continue to stand with its Pacific partners and implement regional aid projects, both bilaterally and multilaterally. Taiwan remains committed to the sponsorship of the cooperation project under the Council of Regional Organizations of the Pacific, as well as the Peace Scholarships, which we've been doing that for the past, I think about 20 years to provide scholarships. And we believe capacity building is the basic to connect the young people, to connect the students, to learn from each other. I think that's a very, very important. Thank you. Okay, okay, thank you. That, that's something I think for us all to keep an eye on um, how that develops because I, I think the shape of Pacific Island Forum can have some strategic uh, implications, um, good or bad. I'm like you, I don't think we want to be hoping for turmoil, but uh, no, no. but it is going to have some kind of impact. Yeah. Um, you know, we have a question from the audience I wanted to put to you, uh, put to you both really. Um, it regards, uh, for the United States, it regards the compacts, I think. Um, with Taiwan, maybe it's more general approach, but, but where does infrastructure fit into, um, fit into this? Not, not the defense infrastructure, which I take as a point. We should do the same with DOD at some point to have this call because uh, that's some interesting stuff going on there, but, but general infrastructure, that's a, that's a Chinese uh, Beijing selling point a lot of times uh, in these places. Um, how do we compete with that, either in the context of the compacts or USAID assistance, uh, US assistance program generally? And, and then for Mr. Chen, uh, where, does, where does Taiwan play on that? So maybe I could start with Sandra. Sure, so um, in, the three freely, freely, in the three freely associated states, 
the Department of Interior manages uh, funds, including funds that are dedicated towards infrastructure. Other funds are dedicated towards education and the, and the health systems. But so we do have significant infrastructure projects in those countries. I would say most famously uh, in Palau, there is the Compact Road. Um, and, and it's you know, clearly, clearly seen as an outcome of the compact relationship. The infrastructure is more challenging in the other Pacific Island countries. Um, uh, USAID programs uh, have moved away from large infrastructure over the past several decades. It's been a while since we've done major infrastructure um, through USAID. We are, however, um, working, on, working in partnership in Papua New Guinea to um, increase the level of electrification in that country, uh, working with um, Australia, New Zealand, Japan, and Papua New Guinea to move, I think the numbers are from 13% electrification to 60 by 2030. So that's a major push. Um, and and it, it touches on the electric grid, uh, power plants, and then the distribution network. So it's obviously something that, that we can and do and should do. We also focus a lot on uh, subsea cables and telecommunications infrastructure. Um, so the United States, Japan, and Australia uh, partnered with the government of Palau to um, finance a spur uh, connecting uh, Palau to a, uh, it's the echo cable, which I think runs from Singapore to the United States. Um, mm -hmm. and, and we've also been working in other areas um, on, on subsea cables as well. So we do we do focus a lot on infrastructure. Thank you, uh, Mr. Tian. Yes, uh, I, I would like to uh, probably uh, reshape a little bit uh, uh, your question. I will probably concentrate not from Taiwan's perspective of those Pacific Islands infrastructures. I probably would like to talk about a little bit about China's top priority in the region, mm. which probably is, is, is connected. Uh, I think Beijing continues to try to gain the strategic uh, advantage by acquiring ownership of the key locations in the Pacific. Mm. As mentioned in my speech, it does. Taiwan and the U.S. are strategic partners in the efforts to prevent China from undermining democracy in the region. Through conditional infrastructures promises and the loan packages under the Belt and Road Initiative, I think China has sought to expand its political and economic influence globally and export vast quantity of raw materials and labor to the rest of the world, including Pacific. In addition, China, through the 21st century maritime Silk Road and focused on Pacific region for being a crucial economic and a military channel. Therefore, most of the regional aid allocations can be fit into the grand strategy scheme. And this is also precisely why Solomon Islands and Kiribati had been wooed away from Taiwan. And for example, after the severance of the diplomatic relations, China immediately sent out the teams to Kiribati to study the feasibility of building an airstrip 
on Canton Islands in Phoenix Atoll. A Chinese enterprise also attempted to lease Tulagi Islands of Solomon Islands for 75 years. And through these developments involving our diplomatic allies, it is clear that China not only wants to undermine Taiwan's international presence, but also effectively tip the regional balance in their favor. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you approached it like that because um because uh, you know that is the challenge. Uh, the PLA also follows up with delegations to many of these countries. I think they're going on average. They have a couple of delegations a year going around the region. Um, well, you know, in, in closing, I, I want to turn to you all to give any final remarks you might have. But um, I'll just say that um, you know we've used the word strategic a lot of times uh, in this conversation. At least I have. Um, and you know, it's it's just so obvious. I mean, it's as plain as the nose on your face. All you have to do is look at a map and you can see the strategic convergence. I think uh, there have been times in, in US foreign policy over the last 30 years where we have not really focused as much as we should on the Pacific Islands. Maybe you could even say we've neglected them. I think that began to change actually uh, in the end of the Obama administration and, and accelerated during the, the Trumpet administration. So um, I would just encourage our, our audience, one would hope they already have some lead on this, but if they have any doubt, I'd, I'd, I'd suggest they do look at a map and understand how important the region is to the United States and why it's so important to Taiwan. And so with that convergence, there's so much that we, we must uh, and can do together in the region. Uh, but with that, let me just turn to you to offer any closing remarks you might have. I'll start with Sandra and then we'll close with uh, Mr. Chen. Sure, thank you very much. So, I mean, I just want to underscore that the United States has an enduring interest in the Pacific. We are a Pacific nation. We are a Pacific power. Um, our relationships in the Pacific are built, they're, they're founded in the people-to-people -people ties uh, that were built following World War II. Uh, extraordinarily close relationships with civil society, church groups, schools. Um, it really is, as you travel the Pacific, you see the impact that US institutions and US people have had on the countries in the region. And you see in the United States, the impact that the Pacific has had on us. And so I think it is easy uh, to argue that the United States leaves and comes back. But in many ways, the United States is in the Pacific for the long term because we geography puts us in the Pacific. And so um, we, we believe that working with Taiwan is a great way to underscore and complement um, the strengths that, that, we, that we each bring to the table and we'll continue to do so in the Pacific and globally. Thank you. You know, I should also say that um, even at times where maybe the Pacific doesn't seem top of mind to the United States, that is the Pacific Island region, there are great professionals like you, Sandra, who are keeping track of and who are focused on it, even if it's not in the headlines. So over those last 30 years, maybe there were occasions where it wasn't in the headlines, it wasn't top of mind in a, in a Secretary of Defense speech or Secretary of State speech, but people like you have been manning the lines uh, all along. 
So, so thank you. Thank you very much for being here. And thanks for those remarks. Uh, Mr. Chen, close us out, please. Water, I probably share two points with you. Now the Indo-Pacific strategy is very, very important. Now the United States, Australia, and the Japan and Indo in uh, India, they, we are implementing so-called the Indo-Pacific vision or strategic strategy. It, it, it doesn't matter, but it can indicate how important the region will be in the future a strategic uh, roadmap. This is number one. And uh, of course, this South Pacific countries are should be included into this Indo-Pacific region, is number one. Number two, I think those island countries are victimized by climate change. And climate change is becoming so important issues. This is why President Biden going to host this uh, climate summit uh, a couple of days from now. So those countries, they are victimized by the climate change, by the, the sea level rise, by all the disasters they probably. Uh, so I think to help them is also in the sense of humanity. So with these two points, I would be more than happy, more than happy to share our responsibility as a responsible share a stakeholder. We would like to do whatever is possible. And actually we are doing it for the last 20, 30 years already. Thank you. Great, great. Thank you very much. And thanks to both of you for joining us for this. I really appreciate it. And, and uh, Mr. Chen, I look forward to welcoming you in, in Washington once, uh, once travel bans are lifted and everything else. Hope, hopefully we will see you. Uh, no, I would like to see you here in Taiwan. Well, you'll see me. I, I hope you can see Sandra in Taiwan soon. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, very good to see both of you. Thank you for your participation in this program. And uh, thanks, thanks to our audience for joining us. We'll be following up with you with some additional uh, information on today's program and, and around the topics that we discussed. Thank you, Sandra. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Sandra. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.